0: Welcome back, friends! Lost Scarf here, and it's time for the newest Kirby's Dreamcast! In this podcast, we're going to talk about everything that has to do with Kirby from the beginning to the present. And today, we're going to talk about Kirby's Block Ball on the Game Boy! If you have any comments about this episode, or any others, you can put them on the YouTube version's comments, or send them to at Dreamcast on Twitter. So the main news to give is that Kirby's Dreamcast now has its own YouTube channel. It'll slowly update it first as we rework the visual version of the podcast with stills instead of short clips. Unfortunately, Nintendo didn't like the short clips and hit our main YouTube channel with the copyright strike, so now the podcast has its own channel. In some ways, this is a good thing, as people will only get the podcast when they subscribe to the channel, if that's the only thing they care about. I'll eventually move over all the Kirby gameplay footage from the side channel to this channel as well, so look out for that too if you want that. Since it's been a while since I last mentioned this in a podcast episode, remember you can find us anywhere you can get an RSS feed, and places like iHeartRadio, Google Music Play, iTunes, and Podbean. So we're going over a gaming episode this time, and as always, they're broken up into sections, which are the status of Hal since the last game, background and making of Kirby's Blockball, advertising for Kirby's Blockball, how well did it sell and reviews, box and game manual, the game itself, we'll try to weave it into a story with the gameplay and everything about Kirby, and lastly, all the information on all the staff in the credits. Eventually, we'll have to do something about the credits when this when the staff gets too big. But right now, we are going to talk about it in the episodes, and it's very fascinating who's in these credits, and that's why I like going over them because you can learn some very interesting stuff from that. So the year is still 1995. Kirby's Dreamland Two came out in Japan in March, and Hal is still in debt. Kirby is the golden goose of Hal, and they still need more money. Kirby Superstar is still not finished yet, so they needed to make another game. The thing about Hal is that they like making a variety of different games. Before Kirby, they made puzzlers, pinball, various sports games, and so on. So, thanks to this background, they would continue with this creativity, but make Kirby the star of those games. Hal never made a breakout game, so they made one here, and Kirby was the star of that, of course. Unfortunately, there are no interviews about Kirby's Block Ball, which is too bad since the game is fun and made mostly well. There is some staff from Kirby's Dream Land 2 here, and we'll get to that in the credits section, Curiously, the director, Hiramune Kauno, this was their only credit. They somehow got to be director and did nothing else after that. It's really weird. So, Kirby's Blockball, or Kabi no Borakuru Baru, came out on December 14th, 1995, December 25th in the EU that same year, and May 4th, 1996 in the US. It would later return on 3DS Virtual Console in Japan October 26, 2011, February 9th, 2012 for EU and May 17th, 2012 for the US. Aside from some basic animations, a lot of the assets and animations in Kirby's Block Ball are new, which is always a good thing. The commercials for Kirby's Block Ball are pretty fun, in the US version there's a bunch of crash test dummy Kirbys who get slammed into a wall at high speeds, they get dropped on spikes, and they have blocks broken on them to make sure the game is safe for Kirby to play in. It's an interesting take as it is the first time we don't have Kirby being portrayed as a scary monster, In the Japanese version, though, a bunch of kids are playing basketball, and then the ball turns into Kirby. Kirby then rampages around, hitting multiple walls and scaring the players until one of them catches him in a Game Boy. Kirby then gets loose and destroys an entire building. I can only assume they used footage of an actual demolition job to show that. And this is also very interesting because it shows Kirby being way more dangerous in the Japanese version. So, like, the ads are opposite of what they usually are in the countries when it comes to Kirby this time. Both commercials also emphasize that you can get a colored version of the game on Super Game Boy on the SNES. And I should mention that layout for the Super Game Boy SNES. So it's uh, King Diddy at the top, and then Kirby with his four powers in each corner as the borders for the game. So reviews of the game were favorable, being considered the best breakout clone of all time, which isn't saying much since there aren't that many breakout games that try to do anything special. Still, the game was on average in the high 70s, in scoring and some uh, giving it a 5 out of 5. Personally, I can agree with that. I've played a lot of Breakout games, honestly. And Kirby has a fun twist on the formula for the most part. You only get stuck a couple times, but not as badly as other Breakout games. As far as how well it sold, it only sold about 300,000 copies. Which is still a big number when you think about it, just not the usual 1 mil plus that Kirby usually does. And I haven't said this before, but... So, Kirby's mainline games, with the exception of Kirby's Dream Land 3, which came out late in the SNES's lifetime and over a year after the N64 came out, sold at least 1 million copies. Another thing about Kirby's Dream Land 3 is that it never released in the EU either. Blockball is not the lowest selling game, however. That distinction goes to Kirby's Star Stacker, with only 200,000 sold, and potentially Kirby's Avalanche, which never released its sales numbers. also because it only came out in the US anyway. Still, 300,000 copies sold at about $30 each is about $9 million total, so that isn't anything to look down on. Okay, so now let's talk about the box. Surprisingly, the U.S. and Japanese versions are very similar. The only difference is the title. The U.S. version has Kirby in the center of the title where the O is on block for the word block ball. Kirby's there flexing and doing the shock ability. On the Japanese version, Kirby is more of a ball bouncing off one of the words on the right side. The background is the same on both boxes. It is Kirby bouncing through a stage that has King Dedede on it with Poppy Bros. on it. Mr. Sean and Mr. Bright are there as well. There's also various blocks from the game for Kirby to bounce into on there. And the back of the box is all black with the title again, and two screens of the game. One showing the Game Boy, and another showing the Super Game Boy, which, like I said before, shows King Dedede on the top, with Kirby's main four powers in the corners. Now, the back of the box says, Kirby's Block Ball, Kirby's back with fast-paced four-way action. It's a breakaway bash in this wild new Kirby game of Block Ball. By destroying the blocks on the screen, you can clear stages and obtain powers that help you in your final confrontation with King Dedede. Paddles on all four sides of the screen make this an intense four-way action contest. Your quick reactions and your careful use of Kirby's powers will determine your ultimate fate. Fast-paced block-clearing action, four-way fun puts your skills at the test, multiple abilities, screens, and stages, battery-packed memory saves your stage scores, and game progress. That's a pretty good description of the game. The pictures help out as well. And yeah, you're doing four-way. It's really cool. When we get to the gameplay and everything, you can see that. it's It's pretty nice. It's, it's a fun take on it, because I've never seen that before in any other breakaway game. And it's just good. Just good. Whoa, breakout game. Now for the game manual. The outside is black with just the game title. Once you open the book, you see a cute picture of Kirby surrounded by various enemies that we've seen in previous games, which are Brown Obert, Mumby, Twizzy, Blipper, Booler, Kukler, and Bounder. Kirby also has a bounce pad under him, and the book reads... In this adventure, Kirby takes center stage in a frenzied block-clearing free-for-all. Through the positioning of the paddle, you send a ball into the playing field and clear a variety of blocks, with the goal of establishing a high score. After facing familiar enemies, Kirby must confront his arch-nemesis, King Dedede. It will not be an easy task. Use the four abilities and the Kirby power balance wisely. Good luck, Kirby! So that is all the story we get for this game. It's very unfortunate we don't get that much details. This is like the first time, I think, where we don't get that much details about what's going on in the store. We usually get more than that. So then the following pages do a good job of explaining the game, like how spikes, the pads, block, and blocks work, how Kirby's four powers work, the different symbols on the stages, how the level layouts work out, which is three areas of block clearing, then a target shooting area, and finally the boss area. The target shooting area, well, we're going to call it the mini-boss area, because that's really what it is. Uh, They also explain that you need to beat the borderline score of all 10 stages before you get to the 11th stage. And I really appreciate how thorough the old Kirby manuals were. They go over every single detail on the screen. And what everything does so very well, it's just really good. It even gives a good description of every block that you'll run into in the game, like the star blocks, switch blocks, through blocks, score blocks, power blocks, pinball blocks, ability blocks, and warp stars. It also explains the point values of items and it shows what all the bonus games are and how they work, which is certainly not easily conveyed in the game itself, so it's nice to know it ahead of time. More enemies show up in the manuals such as Pingy, Waddle Doo, Koner, Sir Slippy, Chucky, and Propeller. Pingy and Waddle are not in the game though, by the way. This is because of their death animations, I believe. We know about them because people found them in the game's code. Pingy gets encased in ice while Waddle-Doo's eye pops out of his body. It's horrifying. Absolutely horrifying. So that's it for the game manual, so now let's talk about the game itself on the Game Boy. So before I try to weave the gameplay into a story, let's go over everything about the game that I probably can't make into a story. Like the opening. So the US opening is Kirby floating on a cloud and then descending onto the game title where he does spark on the O in Blockball. The music is a new track, which I like, and the Japanese version's opener is just the title screen with Kirby bouncing off in ball form off the road on the right, just like the box art for uh, the Japanese version. So the way Kirby's block ball goes is this, and that it's a breakout game with Kirby's concepts on it. A typical breakout game is you bouncing a ball on a board and knocking out every block as the ball bounces around until all the blocks are gone off the stage. The risk here is trying not to let the ball get past your paddle at the bottom of the screen. What makes Kirby's version interesting is that sometimes it's not just the bottom of the screen that can hurt Kirby, but sometimes it's the ceiling and the walls. It's not like you fall away, it's you hit spikes. A nice thing though is you have the power bounce, so you can make Kirby bounce harder and turn back into Kirby instead of just being a little ball, and he can bounce off spikes. So There's a lot of different things going on here which make the game a bit easier, but also trickier and harder at the same time. In Kirby's block ball, Kirby goes through three regular stages. There he fights some of his old enemies and earns powers on occasion, He can also find a warp side that goes to bonus stages, and other tricks to make the stages more interesting. There's four main powers that Kirby gets. There's also an item that makes multiball Kirby, where he splits into two Kirbys on the screen at the same time, and a power that lets you pick which one of the four powers you want. Sometimes enemies also drop food for points, and there's also blocks that can hit repeatedly for more points as well. After the regular stages is the mini-boss stage. That's where there's going to be the star tiles that Kirby has to hit if he wants to get more protection in the final boss area. And then he's fighting, of course, the boss. In that area, whatever Star Tiles he got earlier, they will block some of the spikes to protect him more while doing this boss fight, because the boss is going to attack the paddles, Kirby, and those Star Tiles to reveal the spikes beneath them. After Kirby beats the boss, he moves on to a score screen, so you can see whether you beat the borderline or not, or the high score and everything. You also get to put your name in for the high score if you get there, if you get in the top five. And you have to beat the 10 borderline stages if you want to get the King Dedede. If you don't do that, then you get the bad ending. So you need to get them all and then beat King Dedede to get the good ending in the end. It takes a lot of work, but it's something you can do. Some stages are way harder than others to pull it off on, though. It's ridiculous a bit. So with everything explained as best I could, let's talk about the game itself as a story. The five sparkling stars have gone missing. In Kirby's first outing, he defeated King Dedede to return them to Dreamland. Kirby finds that once again, King Dedede has taken the stars and hidden them in his castle. But this time, King Dedede has placed his castle in Block World to defend against Kirby's advances. Here, Kirby cannot use his vacuum ability. So with that being a problem, Kirby still does go there to face King Dedede. But Kirby finds that he must fight the ten floating islands first and impress the residents there to convince them to allow him to have access to King Dedede's castle. So Kirby warps stars to the first island to do just that. As Kirby arrives, he realizes his body's in ball form once again, just like in Pinball Land and the Dream Course. Kirby's forced to play by New World's rules. Fortunately, Kirby finds himself able to mentally link with paddles in this world, like he was able to link with the flippers in Pinball Land. Kirby then learns that there are things called switch blocks, which when he hits them, turns all other blocks into through blocks. These blocks are weak as glass, and Kirby's able to break through them as he flies into them. But after 30 seconds, the blocks turn back into normal, so he has to take them out very quickly. Kirby then lands at the first stage of the first island. Here he finds himself above a pit of spikes, which gives him some worry. He sees high above him a series of white blocks, a scar block in the field of white blocks, and Waddle Dee and Brownobert enjoying themselves on top of all the blocks. There's also a panel on the ceiling that Kirby is also linked to. At first, Kirby isn't sure how well he can handle hitting these blocks, but he blasts off anyway. And bonk! Kirby hits one and feels no pain, so that's reassuring. Kirby eventually hits the score block and finds the more he hits it, the more impressed everyone on the island is with Kirby's bouncing ability. So he's going to do that more. Hitting the blocks takes some time, and eventually Kirby realizes he can help the paddles flex and bounce him around harder and faster into the blocks, which makes things go more quickly. Also, the way he breaks the blocks this way impresses enemies and the island residents more. Eventually, Kirby also finds hidden score blocks and does even better. After lots of bouncing, Kirby eventually knocks the feathers out of Braunobert and trips up Waddle Dee. They drop treats and Kirby takes them from them. Kirby's not being very nice here, but he is getting pretty hungry and so that's understandable. Kirby finally breaks the last block of the stage and earns his right to progress deeper into the island. In the next area, Kirby sees there's white blocks and darker gray blocks with two Braunoberts flying around them. Kirby takes their cakey because he's pretty hungry in ball form still, and he also finds he has to hit the darker blocks more than once to break them, or hit them really, really hard. After some progress across the blocks, Kirby finds a warp star in the middle and hops on it. Then it takes him away. Kirby's confused as always, but he just goes with it. He finds himself at four islands closer to the castle and chooses one. He chooses Upcloud. Turns out it's a game where Kirby can earn even more chances to progress through the area if he just does really well. There's three clouds for Kirby to hit here, and as he hits them, he helps the clouds progress across through a finish line. So the leftmost cloud, which is closest to the finish line, only gives him one chance, and the middle one is a little bit further back, and it'll give him two chances. And the furthest one on the right is furthest from the finish line, and so that gives him the most chances with three. Kirby bounces around trying to make that happen, but in the end, he ends up knocking the left cloud across the line. And after having foamed the clouds, Kirby finishes that area. And goes on to the third area. Here, there's some new blocks for Kirby to deal with. There's a large block that, when hit, normally breaks into four smaller blocks, but if Kirby hits it harder, it completely breaks into pieces. There's also a broom hatter trapped in some blocks, some unbreakable blocks, and finally a switch block. Eventually, Kirby makes his way to the switch block, which makes all the blocks into through blocks, like he learned earlier. Kirby quickly gets through the blocks and impresses everyone in the land. Kirby next finds himself in the fourth area, up against a cappy surrounded by star blocks and two blocks that can only be broken when Kirby hits it really hard. Kirby hits a lot of star blocks, and to his surprise, when he hits the cappy, they don't just fall over immediately. Kirby hits the cappy over and over and over again as he bounces around and eventually defeats the cappy. With the coast clear, a warp star comes down to help Kirby fly off to face the boss. As Kirby arrives, he sees that the room has spikes on the floor and the walls but there's paddles at each hazard aid Kirby. Then to make things even more helpful, Kirby sees that the star blocks he hit earlier actually freed them to come here to help Kirby protect him from the spikes for a moment so he doesn't just hit them immediately if he falls past the paddles. Kirby then faces off against a large Cappy who jumps around and attacks the wall paddles, reducing them into little stars. Over time, these stars do come back to become regular paddles, so that's very helpful. The other thing is, The little stars cannot flex either, so Kirby can't bounce harder off them, so that does become a problem. Kirby does pretty well, but eventually, in the chaos, Kirby bounces off the large Cappy into a spike, and it hurts! Kirby falls back to a paddle to heal from the Owie, and then gets back to fighting. Eventually, Kirby knocks the Cappy's hat off, and the fight gets more intense, as four hatless Cappies come out to aid the big one. After some struggle, Kirby gets through the crowd and takes down the big Cappy. Kirby then takes a Warp Star out of there and does a dance. Kirby impressed the residents pretty well and twirls happily. Kirby's then allowed to move on to the second island. The first island was a giant sunflower. This time the island is a giant waterfall. As Kirby arrives, he decides to practice a bit of the harder hits with the paddles and ends up knocking a Cappy's cap off their head. The cap lands on Kirby and he has some cute trouble with that hat. Then he gets to the first area of this island. Here Kirby fights in the water and takes on blippers swimming around and a glunk trapped by a bunch of blocks. Kirby's really confused as to why blippers need goggles underwater, as he crashes into them. It's always how they are, it's very confusing to him. Kirby does eventually free the glonk as well, and then knocks them out cold, cause of course he does. After clearing all the blocks, Kirby heads to the second area where he meets more old foes. This time it's Sir Slippy and Koner the Snail. Kirby makes his way to the switch block in the area and quickly gets through. It impresses the island residents very much. In the third area, Kirby sees an interesting sight. The blocks make the form of a running man, with a pinball block for the head. There's also boolers floating around, trying to give Kirby trouble. When Kirby defeats the boolers, he finds a flip item, which makes the light blocks into darker blocks and the dark blocks into lighter blocks. It's weird to Kirby at first, but then he realizes that the darker blocks, if Kirby hits them, it impresses the island residents more since he gets to hit them more often. They are tougher though, so there's that as well. As he's breaking the running man though, Kirby eventually finds a warp star and goes to the bonus islands again. This time Kirby goes to the Air Hockey Island and takes on a UFO in Air Hockey. Back and forth they bounce the ball at each other, trying to make it go by their opponent to the goal. Kirby does well and defeats UFO three times, and Kirby does a cool spin jump whenever he wins and he cheers as he's given three more chances to impress the island's residents. Kirby then goes back and finishes off the Running Man to progress. In the fourth area, Kirby finds himself taking on an extra tough Squishy as he hits Star Blocks, eventually getting onto the Warpster after defeating that Squishy. In the fifth area, Kirby faces off against a giant Squishy and sees that there's spikes on the walls, floor, and ceiling this time, but he's got four paddles to protect him and a good number of star blocks as well. Kirby does pretty well at first, bouncing off Squishy's head, but eventually Kirby finds himself in Squishy's tendrils, and they try to throw Kirby into the spikes. Fortunately, the paddles protect Kirby. After a close call, Squishy knocks himself out when he throws Kirby into a wall and Kirby bounces back into his head. Kirby then happily has a dance, but it's not over. Turns out Kirby really impressed the island, and they decide to have a parade with Kirby to celebrate. They let Kirby lead the parade with a star rod, while his procession is made up of Waddle Dee with a horn, a broom hatter, a bouncy, and a sparky following him. Kirby earned the right to take on the next island from the residents. Kirby realizes he didn't get a parade from the first island, so he'll probably have to go back there and try to impress them some more. They also give him a flag to put up to signify that he defeated this island, which allows the other islands to know that he's impressed them, and it just gives him one less place to know that he needs to go there and impress them to progress to King Didi's Island. There's no flag in the first area, so Kirby gets that idea. After putting up the flag, Kirby then heads to the third island, which is a giant kaboo. Kirby wonders who the boss will be. Upon arrival, Kirby runs into a sparky and finds the familiar spark ability in him. Kirby finds he's able to destroy almost every block with the spark ability, and does just that in the first area. Also, to surprise, he doesn't have to eat people for power is here. Something about the area just lets him do it. Kirby also finds another Warp Star and plays the third bonus game, Starcatcher. In this game, Kirby sits in the center and throws bombs and stars at the paddles, hoping they'll dodge the bombs and grab the stars. The paddles don't really get the idea and blow up immediately, so Kirby just flies back with a sigh to the first stage and finishes the stage. In the second area, Kirby encounters another enemy he's familiar with, Twizzy. Kirby's been fighting them since their first fight with King Deity. Twizzy guards the entrance to the blocks, but Kirby uses Spark to fry the Twizzies and move on. Fried Chicken's also tasty, so Kirby's not unhappy about doing that to Twizzy. In the third area, Kirby encounters another familiar foe, Wheelie! Last time Kirby encountered them was in the Dream Course. Here they're rolling around a bunch of blocks that look like they're forming a tire themselves. Despite Rubber being a bad conductor, Kirby shocks out Wheelie and moves on. Oh, by the way, at this point, I failed a Switch Block Challenge, which is trying to clear all the through blocks in 30 seconds. When Kirby succeeds at them, he happily goes to the next stage, but when he fails at them, he feels disappointed in himself as he goes to the next stage. You can see that when Kirby just doesn't look happy as he's going to the next one, because it means I failed to do that challenge with the switch block. So Kirby then encounters Kaboo in the fourth area, which surprises him. He then batters them a bunch as he also gathers star blocks and warp starts to the boss area. Kirby's also surprised again when he sees a Giant Kaboo is the boss of this Kaboo island. <laughs> Who'd have thought? Caboo summons an army of smaller Kaboos and launches them all over the place to attack Kirby in the paddles. Some end up breaking star blocks and revealing spikes to hurt Kirby, and the end Kirby takes down Kaboo with shock attacks and power hits. Kirby then enjoys himself another dance and gets another parade! They cheer Kirby on as he flies to the fourth island, which looks like a big circus. Kirby can't wait to have fun there. First thing Kirby finds is a power that allows him to split into two so he can handle more blocks at once, But he can't do strong hits during this, or use his powers. This is because he has to use all his energy to focus on the fact there's two of him, so the paddles have a lot more work to deal with. Unfortunately, Kirby eventually loses focus, and one of himself hits the spikes. That half turns into a star, and Kirby becomes just one again. By the way, there's blockies here too, and they have a tough time dealing with two Kirbys. They feel relief when he becomes just one, but then Kirby crushes them anyway, so not that much relief. After all that confusing mayhem in the first area, Kirby heads to the second stage and takes treats from Model Ds. The third area is cute as the blocks make a design of a UFO, there's a Chucky and Wheelie here too. Kirby hasn't seen Chucky since his time in Pinball Land, and before that was his first time fighting King Dedede. Kirby rams into them and breaks them apart, which reveals the split ability for Kirby. Chucky gets the last laugh as the split ability proves too much for Kirby and he gets hurt across the spikes. Good for Chucky, though, because this is the last of his kind we will see. Kirby just made the Chucky race extinct. We will never see Chucky ever again in any future Kirby title. After destroying the blocks that formed the UFO, Kirby moves on to the mini-boss stage, and it's Poppy Bros. Jr. Kirby wonders who the boss could be then, and after collecting the star blocks and giving the boy a beating, Kirby moves on to face the boss. Also here for the first time, Kirby collects all star blocks, which gives him perfect defense in the final stage, and gives him an extra chance at combat. A one-up. To Kirby's surprise, he's fighting Poppy Bros. Senior. Who would have guessed? The fight is different from the last one, as this time there's platforms for Poppy Bros. Senior to hop around on as he throws bombs. And Kirby can bounce off those platforms. Kirby does a great job of keeping the senior from using his bombs, and Kirby blows them up. Kirby then does a victory dance, but there's no parade. Discouraged, Kirby keeps a note he'll have to come back and impress the island residents again in the future, and flies off to the fifth floating island. It's a giant sun with a moon! Kirby wonders who dwells there. The first thing Kirby finds is a Rocky, and he learns he can learn the rock ability here, which allows him to slam down on a bunch of blocks. In the first area, Kirby takes on two Rockies and a Broomhatter. Kirby gleefully crushes them all with the blocks, because of course he does. The second area gives Kirby some trouble as he discovers he can't rock crush every block. Turns out some blocks can only be broken with hard hits instead, but eventually Kirby muddles through. There's also just blocks that Kirby can't do that with either, where they're just completely indestructible, but those won't be coming up just yet. In the third area, Kirby encounters his old friend Twister. The first time he met them was in his adventure, and last time he saw them was when he was on the dream course. Kirby puts their spinning to a halt, and he also finds another warp star to do the fourth bonus game. The fourth bonus game is called Up Down, and this one's a little complicated. So there's a four columns of pictures, which make a King Dedede face, a star, and Kirby. And it's a mix of these different ones in the columns with different pieces. Hidden in columns makes the pictures change, and Kirby quickly gets 4 stars, which gives him 2 more chances to impress the Island Residents. It's the safest and easiest move, as DDD has the most common face, and getting himself, Kirby, is hard and rare, so it's just easier to go for the stars than it is going for Kirby. Back in the third area, Kirby crushes blocks and finds that he can repeatedly use his power almost instantly, and that when he lands, he always bounces to the right. This helps Kirby crush more efficiently and take out score blocks smartly. In the mini-boss stage, Kirby runs into Mr. Shine! He's a moon guy. Kirby fights him a lot. First time was on his big adventure. Usually he has some other guy with him, though, and Kirby wonders if they had a falling out. Mr. Shine rolls around looking for a fight, and Kirby crushes him to make the star appear. At the boss stage, Kirby sees Mr. Shine again, and this time he's good and mad. Kirby quickly dispatches the moon with a series of bonks and slams with rock ability, but not before he shots some platforms with mini-moons. With him defeated, Kirby thinks it's over, but then from the sky comes... Mr. Bright. Oh yeah, the Sun guy, Kirby thinks. Mr. Bright flies around shooting fireballs at the platforms, but Kirby eventually puts him out. Kirby then does a victory dance, but again, no parade. Kirby knows he needs to do better. Kirby then flies to the Sixth Island. A giant iceberg! Hopefully Kirby brought a scarf. Here Kirby runs into a Blasto. This enemy is new, but he looks like a Gordo or Captain Stitch. Turns out these guys only live in Block World and Kirby will never see them again after this time here. Kirby hits Blasto and gains the Crash ability. It clears indestructible blocks, but also takes a toll on Kirby since it's been a while. He hasn't used it since his first big adventure. In the first area, Kirby's in a tight spot with the blocks and has to deal with Twizzies and Blasto. After some struggle, Kirby's able to let loose with Crash and clear the stage. It's mostly the same situation with the second stage as well. They really wanted to make it tough for Kirby to deal with this island. The second stage is completely encased in indestructible blocks until Kirby takes out Blasto, but after hitting him, things got a lot easier. In the third area, Kirby faces a familiar foe, Scarfy. This cute demon pig has been throwing down with Kirby since his first fight with King Dedede. Kirby eventually defeats them and gets the Crash ability out of them to make the rest of the stage easier on himself. With all of these explosions, Kirby wonders if he's gonna fight the Poppy Bros again. But nope! The mini-boss is a mini Mr. Frosty surrounded by star blocks. Kirby takes them down and takes on a regular-sized Mr. Frosty for the boss fight! Just like Poppy Bros, there's platforms that give Kirby some trouble to get around to fight Mr. Frosty. And he also fights just like Squishy. The big walrus will grab Kirby and throw him all over the place to hurt him. The walrus also rolls around, attacking the platforms and turning them into stars. Kirby even finds that he can be grabbed while in rock form. After a lot of trouble, Kirby eventually overcomes this tough fight. Kirby then does a victory dance and sadly sees no parade. Kirby's gotta do better. Kirby then flies into a giant cloud island. Kirby starts to get an idea who he's going to face here, but he's not completely sure. Kirby first runs into Spikey and gains the Needle ability, which he finds lets him stick to paddle so he can aim his shots again. Kirby does just that to definitely get through the first area, and gets a perfect score to impress the island residents. Kirby then faces off against more Spikeys in a bell chamber. Things go really smoothly for Kirby, but what Kirby doesn't know is that he once again is an extinction-level event. Kirby wiped out the last of the Spikeys. Kirby will never encounter this enemy again, so note this is the last game that's going to have spiky in it. In the third area, Kirby encounters and freezes a pair of chilies as he makes his way through. Kirby's surprised to see chili in the clouds instead of the iceberg. This is an enemy Kirby has faced many times and will face many more times in the future. By the way, he first faced them on his big adventure, but after having them chill out, he goes to the fourth area. Kirby's surprised to see Krakow Jr. here, and then he gives them quite the spanking. Kirby knows that where there's a Krako Jr., there's a Krako coming, and Kirby rushes off to the boss stage after perfectly getting all star blocks. Kirby first takes on a fully-sized uh, Krako Jr. and forces them to become Krako. Krakow Jr. just floated around being useless, but the full-on Krakow dashes around and lightning strikes the paddles and turns them into stars. It takes a while, but Kirby eventually dissipates the cloud and has a victory dance. And hurrah! Kirby has another parade. It's been a while. The residents cheer Kirby on, and he happily flies off to the 8th island, a giant tree! Here Kirby finds a flamer, which is a big spinning eye with a fire around it, and from them Kirby gains the flamer ability and tests it out on a poor Waddle Dee. Kirby completely immolates them in fire. Kirby will do the same to future enemies. The first area is blocked, shaped like a tree, and with the power of flame, Kirby quickly burns it down. Kirby finds that he flies up quickly and bounces to the left, opposite of how rock works, which gives him some predictability. It helps him clear the first stage very fast. The second area has a flamer, and to Kirby's surprise, a bomber! He hasn't seen them since his big adventure, and after a lot of struggle, Kirby defeats them for the crash ability and gets through the stage. In the third area, Kirby finds the blocks stacked up to look like a crab, which is very cute. The area is also guarded by a twister. Getting through this area makes Kirby very hungry. Unfortunately, Kirby lost the flame ability in the last area, so he couldn't steam this crab block construction. Through his trials on this island, Kirby unfortunately landed on the spikes a lot. Going into the mini-boss area, Kirby only has one chance left. Here, Kirby fights a cute little Wispy Woods. Kirby fights him a lot and takes this as a fun opportunity to bully the big mean tree, since it's a little tree. Kirby then regrets the bullying when he faces off the usual huge Wispy Woods in the next area. Wispy takes up the entire top half of the area. He constantly drops Gordos, which heavily damage the floor, and paddles. Wispy also spits air blasts to bounce Kirby around, and after a lot of close calls, Kirby somehow defeats Wispy Woods and makes them cry. Kirby then victory dances and is not surprised when he doesn't get a parade. Kirby had a rough time here, after all. Kirby then flies off to the Ninth Island, a giant balloon! First things first, Kirby runs into a bouncy which gives him the ability to choose any of the four powers he used before. In the first area, he crashes into her and chooses flames so he can burn up the blocks quickly. Bouncy, by the way, is a girl ball who uses a spring machine to get around. She looks a lot like Kirby, but doesn't have the mouth or the galaxies in her eyes. She was enlisted by Sleepy King Dedede to take on Kirby when Kirby teamed up with his furry friends in Dreamland, Land 2, by the way. After getting through that area, Kirby runs into Blasto and clears out the second stage fairly well. Using flamer ability was a good idea, Kirby thinks. Then Kirby runs into two crack tweets in the third area. These are cute little birds that he first met in Pinball Land when he broke them out of their eggshells. And Kirby's pretty hungry, so he roasts them up real good. Then, thanks to the predictability of the flame power, Kirby clears the stage very fast. In the mini-boss area, Kirby faces an old foe. A mini-Kabula! Kirby f- hasn't seen them since his first time out. Kirby burns through the star blocks and mini-Kabula very quickly. Kabula is... Basically a big blimp with a cannon. That's what they are, and we haven't seen them since the first game. They don't show up that much in the Kirby games. Then he goes up against a regular Caboola. The first time they fought, it was a plane battle in the skies. This time it's a bouncing battle in the sky. Caboola fires cannonballs and wrecks paddles and star blocks, but Kirby fights back with strong bounces from all sides, ultimately blowing the air out of Kabula. Kirby has a victory dance, finds no parade, sighs, and flies to the final floating island. A floating gear! Feeling confident in himself, Kirby does a little trick as he arrives, involving two waddle-Ds, two flip switches, and becoming two magicians. In the first area, Kirby faces an enemy he truly hates. Buhler. No, not Booler! Propeller! This evil creature would take Kirby's animal friends and chuck them into the distance. With no animal friends and only rage, Kirby breaks through the block barricades and lights Propeller ablaze. Then after some bonus game fun, Kirby clears the area and moves on to the second area. Kirby burns up the stage very well. He burns right through Bouncy and a Mumby right from the start, then after some trouble he finishes the rest. Now the third area is interesting. It's a big swirl of blocks that can only be broken with strong hits, but Kirby bounces into it to reach a Kukler and Score block. Kirby gets really dizzy going through and doing all that bouncing. Kirby tackles the stage perfectly though, and he had a lot of fun, so that's good right there. But then it's time to get serious as he heads to the mini-boss stage. By the way... Kirby was quite surprised when he ran into Kuklaer. He hasn't seen them since his first outing in Dreamland. In the mini-boss area, Kirby takes on a foe he's never seen before. It's a guardian of this island known as Brobo. Kirby waves at them, and then remembers that everyone here works for King Dedede, and he rushes the diminutive robot. After knocking some gears loose, the robot is scared off by Kirby, and then Kirby rides the Warp Star after collecting some more star blocks. At the boss area, Kirby is surprised to see Brobo, who is good and mad now. Turns out it was just the head, and now they're in their body. The sea throws her fists at the paddles to break them down, but Kirby gets in a good angle and quickly breaks the brobo down. The island is now defenseless, by the way. But Kirby did a good job impressing everyone and gets a parade! Kirby happily leaves the 10th island and goes back down to Dreamland, proud of doing a good job in Blockland. Kirby gets a travel sack out with some lunches and leaves. The end. Wait, what? The end? Kirby looks back and remembers, Oh wait, I was there to beat up mean old King Dedede! So that's the bad ending of the game, if you don't get, of course, all the the borderlines to go to the 11th stage. And by the way, Brobo was the only original boss in this game, and will not be seen again until Kirby's Star Allies, where when Kirby's the stone ability, he turns into a statue with them and Grill. Kirby's just going off memory when he does the stone ability in that game, which is, well, when you think about it, wow. This game was 1995. Star Allies is 2018. So 23 years after this game... We see Brobo again. That's how long it takes to see Brobo again. Wow. So Kirby remembers he has to impress all ten islands to get the right to have access to King Deity's floating island. So who does just that? So after a montage of mayhem, Kirby impresses all ten islands and now has the right to take on King Deity's floating castle. Up goes a bridge and off Kirby flies to the castle. Not sure why Kirby didn't just fly to the castle sooner, but maybe Kirby's just honoring the block world rules. Because, yeah, he could have just flown there. The door was wide open the whole time, by the way. So now Kirby's in the castle, and the first thing Kirby finds is King Dedede. Kirby flies straight at him, but bounces off an impenetrable wall of blocks protecting the king. This starts to make the king cocky, but then Kirby hits a kookler to get the crash ability and bonks King Dedede. Kirby has victory dance, but it's not over. King Dedede gets away, and Kirby begins his conquest of the king's castle. In the first area, Kirby encounters a blocky and a bouncy. Fortunately, Kirby still has flame ability and burns his way through, but ends up facing a lot of unbreakable blocks in his way of other blocks. So Kirby burns up Blocky and Bouncy, and then he finds Bouncy had the item that lets Kirby pick different powers again, and uses that to get the stone ability and crush the rest of the blocks. As useful as stone ability was, it's not so great in the second area, where Flamer would have been perfect. King Diddy's defenses are smart. Kirby runs into the two Boolers and another Propeller, who Kirby really hates, by the way. After a lot of struggle, Kirby crushes his enemies and moves on to the third area. In the third area, Kirby runs into two UFOs and a blasto in a cage of unbreakable blocks, save for one small entrance. But there's also a single star block there. Kirby's very curious why there's one here, but normally there are many in the fourth area, and after a lot of trouble, Kirby remembers he can make his flight predictable using Stone ability and gets the crash ability, and then things go smoother. After all that, Kirby heads to the mini-boss area, except no he isn't. It's another area to fight! Here, Kirby runs into Rocky and Bounder. By the way, the stage blocks spell 3D, but the D is backwards for some reason, and they're in reverse order. It's weird. Bounder hangs on a wall and tries to hide from Kirby. Curious about this, Kirby bonks them three times to get the crash ability, which clears some unbreakable walls, which allows Kirby to get some more star blocks. The next stage shows a big two in the middle of this area, and he sees that the blocks form another crab. There's a lot of star blocks here too, and it's pretty cool. There's also two boolers there to form the eyes, which is kind of interesting. There's also a propeller at the base of the crab. Kirby quickly and angrily kills Propeller to get the Power Choice ability, by the way. In his rage, Kirby loses focus, though, and falls on the Spikes. Luckily, the Choice ability wasn't picked up yet, so Kirby's able to get Flame ability, but Kirby burns into a hidden Scar block, and the paddles don't react fast enough, and Kirby gets hit on Spikes again! Oh dear, Kirby is really getting hurt now. But Kirby eventually devours all the Crab blocks and moves on. The next area of blocks forms a 1 with a Warp Star at the center, and there's a lot of Star blocks. There's also a Kukla and a Propeller. With rage in his heart once more, Kirby destroys Propeller and Kukler. Kirby doesn't realize it in his anger, but he just killed the last of the Kuklers. The Kuklers were a rare sort to begin with, and Kirby just took out the last one. That's right, in this game alone, Kirby caused three creatures to go extinct. We will never see Kuklers ever again. Kirby then, after collecting Flame Ability and the last Star Block, gets on the Warp Star and blazes towards his final opponent, King Dedede. Here, Kirby and King Dedede score off in the usual fashion, a 1v1 battle. The stage is completely lined with star blocks because Kirby made sure to get all of them to prepare himself for this fight. And by the way, the music playing is one of the rare times we don't hear some sort of remix of the King Dedede boss theme from the other games. Unsurprisingly, King Dedede has more health than the other bosses, and King Dedede first tries to spit out bombs at Kirby as he attacks him. The King then starts catching Kirby in his mouth and spitting him out back at the paddles and trying to hit him the spikes so Kirby has to attack him from the sides and top. After this, King Dedede pulls out a rocket launcher and fires it at all four paddles, protecting Kirby. The paddles are forced to protect Kirby in their small star form, but eventually Kirby overthrows the big bully. King Dedede is then blasted out of the castle, and Kirby gathers the five sparkling stars. They come together and destroy King Dedede's castle, which totally shocks Kirby. Guess they were tired of the king's crap. (laughs) The castle breaks apart and Kirby falls, but it's revealed that King Dedede built on top of a fountain and Kirby lands on the water spout of the fountain. Kirby then very cutely flounders, dances, and jumps on the spout as the credits play. After the credits roll, Kirby gets blasted into space by the fountain, and Kirby lands and waves at the, the end screen. So that's it for Kirby's Block Ball. It's a pretty fun and enjoyable game, it's definitely the best breakout game I've played. It has the usual weaknesses of breakouts though, sometimes you just can't hit the last block. The music isn't anything special for the most part, My favorite song is definitely the end credits song, which has a little mix of the Candy Power song in it too. It's interesting, and out of the spinoffs, this is fun, but there are definitely better spinoffs coming up. One thing I didn't mention earlier is the game over screen. What happens is Kirby uh, is defeated and he has a bandage on his cheek as he chooses continue or end. The first time, we don't get Master Hand in the game over screen, by the way. He's like in every game, but this one is weird. Also, I guess Pinball Land, where uh, Kirby just ends when you finish that one. But every other one, it's always been Master Hand in the end, so it's really weird not to see him here. Also, after beating the game, if you go back to the file selection screen, it shows Kirby with a star wand and a crown, so that's nice. As far as secrets go, there's not much, unfortunately. There's that thing about penguin and Waddle 2 that I mentioned before being cut out of the game. Then there's also, if you break the borderline for King Dedede's castle, you can press B over the castle and have access to the four bonus games anytime. Not much of a game, but there you go. That's the only thing you get. Breaking his borderline lets you play the bonus games anytime you want. That's the only secret. Only other secrets are if you were to crack the game and go into the files and everything, you could find, like, unused games. That's, I mean, unused stages. That's about it. Uh, Random trivia I didn't mention before elsewhere. Kirby was originally planned to be the paddles in this game, which is weird since he's already a ball, so I don't know why they did that. And so the last thing to talk about is the credits. And this has got some interesting stuff in it. It's wow. Very interesting. Like, not everyone cares about credits, but if you actually dive in, there is some stuff in here that's worth learning about. So there are 27 people that were in the credits. 21 were developers. Six were Special Thanks. And seven people also worked on Kirby's Dream Land 2. Five worked together on Kirby's Dream Course. Four will be working on Kirby Superstar and Kirby 64. Some worked together on other projects that aren't Kirby, like Mario Tennis. MARPG or Green Times Smash Brothers other Nintendo projects, Game Watch Galleries, all that stuff. Let's go down the line of credits. First, let's talk about the director, Hiramune Kuno. There's nothing to talk about. This was their only credit. I don't know if it's a fake name or what, but this is the only game they ever directed or even worked on. I don't know how you get to be director of one game and that's it, but this is what this was it. The CG designers were Isao Shirayama and Yu Katou. Shiriyama will eventually work on three Game & Watch galleries as designer, and that's it, while Kato will never work on another video game again. Wow, these credits on some of these people. The animation team was Kazuya Miura, Yoshiko Okubo, and Sunei Kubota. Miura did character designs for Kirby's Adventure, and CG design for Kirby's Dream Land 2, and Kirby's Dream Course. This would be their last Kirby game, though. They eventually disappear off the map and randomly reappear again to work on Naruto Ninja Council 2, nine years later, in 2004, and then disappear again until 2017, where they did cinematic storyboard art for Breath of the Wild and finally graphics for Dragon Quest of the Stars in 2020. So weird. Okubo did CG design for Kirby's Dream Land 2 and will eventually return to do design on Kirby's Dream Land 3 before they disappear forever. Lastly, Kubota, oh, well, Longer career, they'll return to rework on Kirby's Dream Land 3, Kirby 64, Nightmare Dreamland, Dream Land, Air Ride, Kirby Superstar Ultra, Super Smash Bros. Melee, and Canvas Curse as designer in various fashions. This person's career was purely on Kirby games, so good for them. The map designers were Hiroyoshi Kubo and Ichiro Takigawa. This was Kubo's only game. Takigawa also worked on the Game of Watch Galleries, but as a coordinator. There were five programmers this time Takeshi Yamazaki, Toshifumi Hiro, Yuki Yano, Yasu, Shimokawa, and Julie. Yamazaki will also work on Game & Watch Gallery as a programmer. I don't know, what is this game? Hero, same thing as well. They worked on all three Game & Watch galleries as a programmer. Yano only worked on this game and vanished from history. Shimokawa, oh well, they worked on Kid Icarus back in 1986 and then came back in 1992 to do Yoshi's Cookie before doing Mario Tennis and Curry's Block Ball, and then the Game & Watch Galleries as a coordinator. Lee also worked on Yoshi Cookie, and their only other credit is Rayman 2 in 2000, and that's it. So I need to look up what Game & Watch Gallery were at this point, seeing all these credits, and their games published by Nintendo and developed by Tosei Ko. They were for Game Boy Color, and they were a trilogy of these games that were recreations of the old Nintendo Game & Watch games into Game Boy games. Later on, they would eventually have a fourth one, but it wouldn't be on the Game Boy Color. It would be on the Advance. The composers were Sukezo Oyama, and Ryo Takagi. This explains why the songs are so different from all the other Kirby games. None of the usual composers worked on this game. The only other game Oyama did was Slam Dunk, SD Heat Up, but Takagi's credits are very different. Their first game was Virtual Bowling in the same year as Block Ball. Then they disappeared until 2002 where they worked on sound editing for Resident Evil Zero, then did a bunch of music for various Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest games, all the way to 2009 with Dragon Quest IX. Their last game was a game called Fortune Street in 2011, though. Management was Atsushi Kakuda, and this is the name we've talked about a few times before. He was the director and game designer of Alkahest. He got a special thanks in Kirby's Adventure and was ES designer and project manager of Kirby's Dreamland 2. He'll get a special thanks from Kirby Superstar and disappear until 2002 to supervise Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland. He did management support for Kirby's Air Ride and supervised Kirby's Squeak Squad before disappearing from history. In supervision, it was Kensuke Tanabe and Hideki Fuji. We've talked about both of these men before. Fuji did map design for Kirby's Dream Course and Dream Land 2. He was also supervisor for Avalanche. He started as a printed artist for Legend of Zelda Link to the Past. After this, he would never touch a Kirby game again and do art for Super Mario 64, Waverry 64, Yoshi's Story, and Luigi's Mansion. He'd become a director for Big Brain Academy and planner for Nintendo Land. Kensuke Tanabe is a legend we've mentioned so many times already in Kirby credits. He was supervisor or producer of over 200 games for Nintendo. I don't mean was, he still is. He does so many games. Just like Fuji, he was a map designer on the same games and supervisor for Blockball. Eventually, he'll advise on Superstar and be assistant manager for Kirby 64. He'll be in the credits for a number of other Kirby games in the future, so we'll talk about him then, too. This guy is still active today, by the way. He's producing Mo- Paper Mario Origami King and Metroid Prime 4 right now. The special things are Masao Masakusa, Hitoshi Yamagami, Kenji Okamoto, Takeji Basho, Hitoshi Fukushima, Marcus Lindblom, and so many players. This is Masakusa and Basho's only credit. Okamoto is on the special thanks for many games, lots of Dragon Ball Z games by the way. Fukushima did sound composition for Mario's Tennis and then disappeared until 2004 where they were on motion staff for Xenosaga Episode 2. They were then a motion actor for a couple years in games like Dynasty Warriors 5-7 and Samurai Warrior. They did wire work on Devil May Cry 1 and 3. Then they did stunts for Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. They did more action staff on Metal Gear Solid 5, and their current last credit is stunt wire rigger for Monster Hunter World. Very interesting credits there. Lynn Blom was translator and chief coordinator of Earthbound. They then became a producer associate producer for Random Games for Midway and EA. Their last credit is production for Halo 4 and Halo Wars Definitive Edition. And lastly, there's Yamagami. This guy might be why we saw so many Game Watch credits for the other people, because he directed all four of the games for that. So he must have remembered these guys and brought them over to those games. Yamagami is another Nintendo legend that not many people know about. He has directed, produced, or supervised over 100 games for Nintendo. He'll be the director of Kirby Star Stacker. His first directing job was Yoshi's Cookie. Oh, he directed Tetris Attack. Apparently he's just the big puzzle guy, like he just does those games. Puzzle's not the right word, but like Kirby's Avalanche, uh, Columns, those kind of games, those are the things that he did. He was the producer and task manager on every Pokemon game after Gold and Silver. All of them. All of them. <laughs> he was also involved in every Fire Emblem game since 2003. His credits list is just amazing. We will see him again in many more Kirby games, too, as he's producer. His last credits are for producer for Fire Emblem Three Houses, Astral Chain, Super Kirby Clash, Pokemon Sword and Shield, Tokyo Mirage Sessions FE Encore, and Pokemon Mystery Dungeons Rescue Team DX. Oh, I was wrong. He's on the credits for every single Fire Emblem game. Any game he he wasn't a producer or something, he was Special Thanks. Even the original Fire Emblem. This man was involved in a lot of stuff. So many fascinating credits, and we still have three more people to talk about. The producers were Shigeru Miyamoto and Junpei Yokoi. We should all know who Miyamoto is. He is the father of Donkey Kong, Mario, and the Legend of Zelda. He's worked on an insane number of Nintendo titles. The big ones, of course, are like Eb Zero, Star Fox, Pikmin, Bike, Pilot Wings, so many, many games. He was also important in The Birth of Kirby, as we've covered in past podcast episodes. Now, Junpei Yokoi is an early Nintendo legend that I'm sure no one knows about, so let's talk about him. He produced many of the classic Nintendo gems like Donkey Kong, Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt, Balloon Fight, Metroid, Kid Icarus, Doctor Mario, Fire Emblem, and so many more. Until his untimely death in 1997, he died when he saw a car accident and he parked and got out and the car hit his car and he died. It's very unfortunate. He was also the father of Rob the Robot and the Virtual Boy. He actually resigned uh, the year before his death. It was believed it was because the Virtual Boy's flop, but it was actually just so he can make his own company. Blockball would be his seventh to last credit. So look at that, we just learned about the man who created Rob and Virtual Boy, isn't that something? I love looking at the credits, we learned so much. The last man on the credits is the executive producer, Hiroshi Yamauchi, the great-grandson of the founder of Nintendo. This man was president of Nintendo for 50 years. He had an eye for talent and would see Nintendo's rise in the console world from the NES all the way to the GameCube. He then retired and passed leadership for the first time not to a family heir, but to Satoru Iwata, a founding member of HAL. He made Iwata the president of HAL when he saved them from bankruptcy. So during this time, that's what's going on with Kirby's Block Ball. Iwata is the, the president of HAL, trying to pay off the debts. Kirby's Block Ball is the newest game, so that's what's going on. Satoru Iwata, by the way, would in turn bring out the Wii, which skyrockets Nintendo, And he was working on Nintendo Switch before his untimely death in 2015. It's very sad that he died before he could see the success of the Nintendo Switch. By the way, Yamauchi would die in 2013, so he got to see the Wii take Nintendo to greater heights, but he also got to see the wolves of the Wii U before his death as well. So that right there is every single detail there is to learn about Kirby's Block Ball. It wasn't the best spin-off game, but it was not Jovo for what it was, and it's definitely the best breakaway game I've played. The next game we'll be working on is the Japanese-only game known as Kirby's Toy Box. It's a series of mini-games, interestingly, one of the games has been lost to time, there's no way to play it in this day and age anymore, which sucks, it really is unfortunate when that happens to games, but we'll go over those details in the future. Next episode will be Kirby's Right Back At You, episode 39, so that's uh, Kirby's Dreamcast podcast. I had fun talking, and I hope you had fun too, and that's what it's all about, isn't it? Having fun. Thanks for coming by, and see you next time.